All right, good morning. We made it. We made it to Easter. <laughs> more, more importantly, he made it. And that's why we're here. That's why we have these songs to sing. Uh, that's why today is different than any other day. Um, welcome to Living Hope. I'm Josh, one of the pastors here. If you have a Bible nearby, let's turn together to Mark chapter 16. Um, as you head in that direction, uh, let me say a word of welcome, especially to those who may be with us for the first time. Uh, you picked a great day uh, to be here. We, um, we have been journeying together along with believers all around the world through the season of Lent, and this is the arrival point today. And I'm uh, just very glad that you're with us. If you um, are, if you live in the area, you're looking for a church, we would love uh, to just get a chance to meet you and connect with you. In fact, we have these cleverly named Connect cards for that very purpose. Uh, in the foyer and in the lobby, if you want to grab one of these cards, you can fill it out and just leave it there. And we'd love to get in touch with you, see if you have any questions about the church or anything that maybe God was stirring this morning. Any way we can pray with you, uh, just minister and, ha- and just be obedient to whatever God has. And so I want to make you aware of that. In the next couple of weeks, we have, um, we have a couple's night out uh, coming up this Friday. It's, a, it's for, for couples and for parents. Uh, our kids' community group starts back next Sunday at 9.45. Our youth group has been meeting for a couple of months now. And so we're, just, we're putting one more thing back into place as normal from COVID. It feels like we're, we're kind of on the way out of it a little bit, hopefully. And so uh, just encourage you to take advantage of those things. If you have been around for a while here at Living Hope, you know that we've been studying our way through the book of Mark. Uh, I told the first service, I think we started in 1943, and we are uh, almost to the end of it. And we get to chapter 16 this morning, um, and let's pick up in verse 1. And so just to sort of recap where we left things last Sunday, uh, Jesus has been, uh, he has been killed and he died. They took him down from the cross. They uh, were in kind of a hurry because the sun was setting and the Sabbath was about to start. And so they wrapped him up. They put him in a tomb and put a stone in front of it. And then they had to wait for, for the Sabbath day, which was sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. Um, they, that was the day of rest. And so they had to wait until uh, first light on Sunday to be able to go and essentially complete the burial process. And so that's where we pick up in verse 1. It says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome uh, brought, they bought, sorry, they bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away for us from the entrance of the tomb? Okay, so we stop right there. Uh, I, I grew up around church, and I think for so long in my mind, the women went to the tomb to see if he had risen, because that was what he kept saying was going to happen. But the, the text actually says that they were, they were going to complete the burial process. They were not expecting a risen Jesus when they got there. That's why they bought spices. That's why they're thinking practically, how want to get that big stone out of the way, like those kinds of things. So that was their intent. And they get there, verse 4, looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen 
He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Okay. Now we know from the previous chapter that these, these women in particular, they were eyewitnesses. They watched him die. They watched him be, be buried in the tomb. They watched the stone get rolled in front of the, of the entrance. Like they, they were eyewitnesses to all, to all of this. We know from the other gospels that this young man is actually an angel who's speaking to them. And he's just giving them the facts. Like, this is why you're here. This is who you're looking for. He's alive. Uh, he's gone on ahead of you. Um, and, uh, like, basically, like, don't freak out on me, you know? And understandably, like, this was not a, an expected situation for these, for these folks. And so look at verse 7. It says, Go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Okay, so you, you gotta love that he includes Peter in this. If you are familiar with Peter's story, um, uh, just a few days earlier, Peter had gone from being uh, like Jesus's number one disciple in his mind to basically denying that he even knows him. And Peter was probably dealing with a lot of emotions, probably a lot of of regret and uh, just a ton of stuff. And so you gotta love that this angel says, "Tell the disciples." And, and make sure that Peter knows he's not disqualified himself from this. Like, God wants Peter there. Um, and there's there's a whole other story with that that's pretty awesome, but that's not for today. Um, but notice that he says uh, two, two important things. Um, he says he's going before you to Galilee. Okay, so just kind of keep that in mind, that Jesus is going ahead of them. Um, it says, there you will see him just as he told you. Because Jesus had been preparing them for this exact sequence of events. Uh, like like Thursday night. Like this is Sunday. Thursday night, this is what he tells the disciples in chapter 14. It says, it says they, sang, they sang a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Like he told him on Thursday exactly what was going to happen. In this moment, the, the disciples are scattered everywhere. The only faithful ones are the women who are there. And Jesus is going ahead of them to Galilee. Like everything is, like this should not be a shock to them, but it is a shock to them. And if you even go back further into Mark, like in chapter 10, he says, uh, they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Like Jesus is saying that about himself. But they didn't really catch on to it. Before that, in Mark 9, says he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. If you go back further into Mark 8, says he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He kept, he kept telling them exactly what was going to happen. And here it is happening, and they're just still not really connecting all the dots. Which, we could use that as a point to talk about how dense the disciples were, but let's, let's look at this as a chance to, to just exalt the awesomeness of God for a second. That God was essentially like lay, laying out this, this sequence of promises. Yes, the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, was going to be killed. Three days later, he would rise. God is laying out this promise over and over and over again. 
And I have to wonder, how did that impact Jesus on Thursday night? You might recall, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. His soul is full of anguish, like he knows what's ahead. He's dreading it. How much of that was rolling through his mind? Not only the the you will die part, but the you will be raised part. I think it's so important for us on this day to recognize that a part of of what today tells us is that God keeps the promises that he makes. He always keeps the promises that he makes. That's who he is. So it's his character that's keeping the promise. But also, there's this really like special thing about God that I think is highlighted here in a very important way. Like, so God is, he is in, he's in time in the way that we are in time. Like we're just experiencing moment, moment by moment, right? We don't, we don't know what's going to happen in 10 minutes or 10 days or 10 years. We don't, we don't know that. We have to experience it. So we're, so we're following this timeline, and we're just kind of waiting for what's next. And so God meets us in that timeline, but in his nature, he, he somehow, and I don't understand this, but he sees all of it at once. And so it's with this all of it at one time perspective that he meets us in the moment. And I was thinking about this yesterday, and if this doesn't make sense, you can let me know in a very kind way later, like in a couple of days, not today. Uh, um, but like, like let's let's say that you have let's say you have two rooms, um, and they're separated by a wall, but there's a door in between them, and you're you're standing in the doorway, to where you can look into this room and you can look into this room, and the wall is here. Does that make sense? Parents are probably like, yeah, we've done this before. We we understand. So. Uh, and if you were to, if you, if you have a kid in in one room and a kid in the next room, you're able to watch both of them at the same time, but they can't necessarily see each other. And so, if you're looking into both of those rooms, you're aware of what's happening in both in both spaces, right? Well, if if one room, if we think of one room as as linear time, like the moment by moment, the way that we experience time, and you think of the other room as God seeing everything at one at once. God's standing in the doorway, and he's able to look at both. And so let's, let's think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's um, agonizing over this. He's full of grief and sorrow, and he's dreading what is ahead. And he's praying to the Father um, if there's any other way. Yeah. And what if in, the, in that moment, what if God just kind of reminded him of those of those timelines that he said, of the sequence of like, yeah, you'll be killed, but you will be raised in three days. Like, what if he's thinking about those things? And so God is, is meeting him in that moment. What if God reminded him in that moment, like, yes, it's going to be bad, but I'm going to be with you. What if a part of that is the character of God saying, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. What if a part of that is also him looking into the timelessness and saying, oh, no, I can see it. Like, I can see you raised on Sunday. I'm looking at Sunday. So I'm going to meet you in Thursday. I'm going to meet you in your grief. I'm going to meet you in your distress. I'm going to comfort you with my presence and my character and my promises. But you need to know I'm also looking into over here, and I see myself fulfilling it. That God is able to keep his promises not only because of who he is, but because he's able to see the fulfillment of those things. 
So when God comes to you and I, and, and he brings to mind the promises of the scriptures that say things like, I will never leave you or forsake you, you're going, you're going through whatever it is that you're going through, and you're praying to God, and you're like, God, you feel so far away, and he's saying, I've not left you. I will never leave you. In fact, I'm going to look over here and see, look, there's your whole life, and not one time did I leave you. So I'm vouching not only because of my own character, like this is from God's perspective, not only because of my character, but because I can see the reality over here. I can see into both of those realms. And I've never left you. That when you, he speaks to you in Isaiah where it says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. The waves, they're going to be waves, but they're not going to overcome you. So don't be afraid. I've called you by your name because you're mine. Not only is that, am I going to stand by that? I'm going to look over here. I'm going to watch, I can see how it happens. And be like, you're, it's going to be difficult, but oh man, that part's awesome. And that part's awesome. And he's able to see all that stuff playing out. And to assure you in the moment, you can't see into this room, but I can see into this room. And so we're reminded that, that God knows what he's doing. And when he makes a promise to Jesus the Son, or you and I, the sons and daughters of God, when he makes those promises, he will keep them. And the resurrection reminds us of that in part. That's a part of what today is about, is the fact that God keeps the promises that he makes. Look at verse 8. And they, when the, back to the, to the women. So it says, when they went out and they fled from the tomb, uh, trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Of course. All right. So they, they leave. And then this weird thing happens in the book of Mark, where that's the end of the book. Like, your Bible probably has some more, like, print, like some more verses after that. But in the oldest, like, manuscripts of Mark, that's where it ends. And there's different, different thoughts behind that and reasons. And if you are really intrigued by this, then come back next week. Uh, like hit pause on the entry. Come back next week. I'll talk more about it. Uh, there's no need to panic or throw the Bible out the window or anything like that. But it's just the oldest manuscripts, or they don't have the, anything else. And so what we have to do is we have this beautiful gift of the Scriptures, which give us multiple Gospels and other writings, that we can piece together what happened from there. So here's what we know from the other sources of Scripture, a very quick rundown, of all the times when um, when Jesus... Uh, like. And according to Mark, they haven't actually seen him yet. So here are all the times people actually see the fit, like in front of them, the risen Jesus. Um, that morning to Mary Magdalene and to the women returning from the tomb. Uh, Peter on that day, two disciples on the road to Emmaus that day. That evening, all the apostles uh, except Thomas. And then later on to all the apostles, including Thomas. Um, then later on... Uh, there's like this 40-day period where he appears a bunch of times. Uh, here's a couple of them. To seven disciples fishing on the Sea of Galilee. To 11 disciples on the mountain in Galilee. To over 500 disciples at one time. Um, he appears to James uh, on the Mount of Olives at his ascension. And then even after his ascension, he makes a few more appearances to Stephen and to Saul and to John. And so there are hundreds of eyewitnesses. To the to the like resurrected Jesus walking around teaching eating with them like proving to him that he really was alive that his extremely public death is partnered with an extremely public resurrection 
hundreds of eyewitnesses to both. And those groups have some overlap in it as well. And so this, uh, the fact that Jesus like was raised, uh, is a fact. Like there's no way to dispute it. And a lot of people try. Um, but it, all those arguments fall very, very short. And so what does it, what does it mean? Um, that could be the next, uh, 13 year sermon series. What does the resurrection mean? Like there's, there's a, it's just so much. So let me try to just give two, two things for this morning. Um, to focus on. Here's, here's the first one. Uh, part of what the resurrection means is that we are forgiven. That the, the sacrifice that Jesus made of his own life was accepted by God. Um, 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen says this, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Jesus had stayed in the tomb, he'd have just been another another person killed by Rome, another uh, religious you know zealot of sorts who just got put down, another fake Messiah that came through. But Paul says, if he's not been raised, you're you're still in your sins, and so the implication is because he has been raised, then we are not in our sins, right? Like that's the that's the logic there. If we are thinking in terms, uh, some terms I've used in the last couple of weeks, if we're thinking of sin as, uh, as this virus that is passed down, that you're born with this virus, and the, uh, the symptoms, like you know that you have it because the main symptom is this thing called pride. This like self-obsession and self-reliance and um, just kind of everything being about you. And, and even if you think, but I'm the most insecure person in the world, that's just another form of pride. It is. Um, we all have it. Nothing we can do about it. There is no vaccine. There is no, no, no masking and distancing that's going to help it. It just is there. And the thing is, it, it brings spiritual death to you. It brings uh, literal death to you and to, and to the whole world. Uh, that's why we know what death is, because of this virus. Um, God didn't set out to create things that die. This virus, though, sin and our pride has led to that death. And um, nothing we could do about it, no, no cure. So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit got together and came up with a plan. And the plan was to go to all of those made, all those made in, in His image, which is every one of you and everyone watching on the live stream, every person ever made to go and to offer to take the virus out of them and put it onto himself. And so a part of what Friday is, of, of what good Friday is, is Jesus taking all of that sin into himself and letting it run its course and kill him. And so who killed Jesus? Well, we did in in that sense. Like our sin did what sin does. It brought death to him. And he let it happen so that he could take it out of you and into himself so that you and I could be healed and so that he could be killed. And the resurrection tells us that that virus really did die when he died. And God the Father and God the Spirit weren't going to sit by and let the son be dead. And so they raised him, but they left sin in the grave. 
So he's alive, but the sin is not alive. It, it had to run its course, and when it did, there was still enough God power left to bring him back. Because he is greater than death. He is greater than evil. He's greater than anything that we can put on the table. And so the resurrection, when God raises him from the dead, it's, it's, this, it's this message, not only to the Son, but to all of us, that like, everything is okay now. That we are healed. As I said last week, yeah, we, we still have some residual effect from that, right? It's like the COVID thing when like some people, they, 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 they get over the virus, but they, they still lose their sense of taste or smell. And that kind of lingers for a while. We have those lingering things, but the fact that Jesus is alive is why I can stand here today and sing as a forgiven, free son. It's why we can do this whole thing. And if you are here and you, you don't really know where you stand, you don't know if you're still carrying that virus or not, you don't know if that pride and that sin has been forgiven or if you're still carrying it, then you don't need to leave with, without you know, answering that. And I promise you, there's a lot of people here, myself included, who would love to stick around afterwards and talk with you about that and to answer any questions that you may have. If you feel that God is stirring you and he's saying, hey, you still got the virus, then don't leave. Don't be a carrier. Okay? So that's one thing for today that we can stand on is because Jesus has been raised, we are not in our sins anymore. We've been freed from that bondage and we have been healed. Here's the, here's the second big thing for today. We need to to really make sure we're thinking correctly about this resurrection, that, that the difference between the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of Lazarus. Remember Lazarus? He's a friend, a friend of Jesus. He had, he had uh, passed away. Jesus gets word of that, travels back to his town. He gets there. Lazarus has been, uh, has been dead for a bit. His sisters are really upset, and they're like, if you had only been here, it's a, it's a, it's a story. Um, and he raises him, he raises him up. He says, Come out the grave. Lazarus comes out. Now we don't have a lot of record of what happens from there, but at some point, Lazarus, like he grew older, and at some point he died. Lazarus was basically like his was more in the form of a resuscitation. When he came out of the grave, he was still the same Lazarus that went into the grave. He just came back to life. Not quite the same, but but as far as like the like EMTs taking the paddles and like clear, you know, like that kind of thing. Like it's more more along those lines. But Jesus's resurrection was was it was a it was a recreation, not a just a resuscitation. And he came out of out of the grave. He was still himself. He's still Jesus. But not in the in the same way, in the in the human sense that we know him, and that might not make a lot of sense. Let me try to explain it a little bit better. Like to think of life in in like three, let's say three major stages. There's there's your life on the earth, and at some point at some point you die, and your spirit goes in this. Some point you die, your spirit goes to be with the Father, goes to be with God. Um, your body goes into the ground. 
Those are separated from each other. Body goes into the ground. And we're in this holding pattern. And so that everyone, everyone is either in this stage or this stage. And we're just kind of like doing this thing for a while until the third stage happens when Jesus returns for us, which he will do, right? Better hope so. Okay, so uh, yes, he will come back for us. He comes and and the the bodies come, I, I don't know, bodies come out of the grave, spirits reunited. And there is recreation. And there's a few more steps in there, of course, but there's recreation that, that you're... You, in one, some senses, you are who you were, but in this like beautiful recreation sense, you're not the same as you were. You're the completely healed, forever version of yourself. And so it says in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty that Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, which means that Jesus sets a pattern for you and I. So um, there's life on earth, then your spirit goes to heaven and your body goes into the ground, and then you're recreated um, with, with the resurrection. And so that's what happened to Jesus. He was here on the earth. On Good Friday, he dies. His spirit goes to be with the Father. His body goes into the tomb. And on Sunday, those are reunited in a, in a recreated way. That that is the pattern that he says. That's what Paul says. He's the... He's the first fruits. Like if you if you plant a big crop and it's finally time to harvest everything, the first the first pass through is going to show you the condition of the entire crop. So it's forecasting what what the rest of the crop is going to going to be about. And so what basically what happens to Jesus will happen to us. He's he's just the first one to go through it. It's like earlier when he when the angel says Jesus has gone ahead of you to Galilee that Jesus goes before us. The Bible is full of stories of God being like, I'll go first. I'll go first. I'll go first. And so Jesus goes first. In Luke 24, in one of the one of these times when he is uh, with them in the resurrected form, they are all troubled, like they just don't know what to think of it. He says, Why are you troubled? Why do you why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Touch me and see. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed him his hands and he showed him his feet. That's a, that's a part of what we are seeing is this was a bodily resurrection, but it was a recreation. He's, he's not standing there with open wounds. He's not standing there with, with, with bruises. He's, he, he's, not, he's not the beaten to a pulp version of himself that he was on Friday. He is, he is healed. He shows Thomas that he's, he still has the scars. In fact, you know that, that when we're with him on the new earth, he'll still have those scars. Like you'll, you'll get to put your hands, like if you were like, I want to touch them, you'll get to touch them. How crazy is that? But what, who appears to them is, is not, he's not limping along and struggling. He's not, he's not on an IV because he's dehydrated. Like he's, He's standing there. At one point, he's like, "Do I have any food? Like, I'm kind of hungry." Like, he's 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 recreated, and so he's showing us what it looks like to be healed. He's shown us what it looks like to live life this way. He's shown us what it looks like to die and for your body to be buried and your spirit to go to be with the Father. And now he's showing us what that third stage looks like. 
He's showing us that resurrection is recreation. Jesus and Paul both both use the the imagery of um, the, a lot of the ag metaphors in the Bible, you know. And you guys have heard me talk about this before. I'm, I'm sure they they talk about a seed. And being a South Louisiana kid, I think of acorns because when I was a kid, that's like all we did on the playground was like make piles of acorns. I don't know if that was maybe just us at Bell and Graf, but um, acorns. I've always been fascinated with them because uh, sometimes you'll look over and there'll be this like little baby oak tree shoot up. And Jesus and Paul both use that imagery. They're like, yeah, that's 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 what resurrection is, really. And that acorn falls off, it has to die, fall off the tree, and get sown into the ground, like get buried into the ground, in order for it to come to life and produce fruit. When it comes to life, is it like a new acorn? No, it, it's completely different. It's a tree. How does the acorn become the oak? Miracle, honestly. Just a miracle. That you and I are like that acorn. We have to die and be buried somehow in order to come to life and to bear the fruit. That's describing the three stages that I just said earlier. That we're not just improved acorns, that we're oaks. Second Corinthians, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he's not an acorn anymore. He's an oak. You might not be a stately LSU oak yet. You might be a little sapling oak, but you're an oak. You're a new creation. Romans 12, he says, uh, Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 2 Corinthians, all who are, we're all being transformed into the image of God from one degree of glory to another. That word transformed is where we get metamorphosis from. It's the caterpillar to a butterfly. Like it's like, uh, there's just so much imagery there. Like God has, has given us these like agricultural metaphors and these things in nature to help us kind of get a frame of reference for the like, the magnificence of what he is doing with us and what he invites us into. That yes, there is life here, and yes, there is life here, and yes, there is eternal life here. A lot of our world that we live in really functions as though it's just this one over here. That this life right here, this is all you really have. So like, let's go all in on this. And when you think that there's just this, and you're not so sure about this, and this one over here is just a complete joke, then this life right here becomes very urgent, doesn't it? So it's like I got to do everything. Um, I, I, if I got to go into debt, I'll go into debt. We, it's how we, you make decisions differently when you think that this is all that there is. You. You, you prioritize your relationships very differently. Like your whole life looks a certain way when you're like, this is our one shot. Paul even, he, he says it uh, a little bit later on in 1 Corinthians. He says that uh, if the dead are not raised, here's your attitude. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That's, 
That's what happens. If you don't think any of this is happening, then you're just like, everything is all that matters. But for the follower of Christ, who is sitting here on Easter Sunday, being like, he is alive, that means that that brings us into all of this being not only possible, but actual for us. Like We're placing our faith in what happened to Jesus is going to happen to me. And so this life um, holds tremendous value, but it's different value because it's not all that there is. Jesus comes to the earth and he shows us what this life should look like given the fact that these next two things are real for us. That's why you look at him and you're like, man, how, how could he be so compassionate? How could he be so forgiving? How could he be so selfless? How could he, um, how could he have like relationships like that? How could he say that or do that? Or you look at him and you're like, I, he's showing us when you believe in resurrection, this is what life looks like. When you believe in the kingdom of God, this is what your life can look like. And not only is, is this like a possibility, he's inviting you to become just like him. He's inviting us to walk in relationship with him, to be formed more and more into that image. He's saying there's a whole new way to be a human because the resurrection is a real thing. And I've said this before, how like how easy it is like for me personally, like I'll, I'll get a little angsty where I'm like, I have friends who like travel to like, let's, let's say like national parks, you know, some of you guys go to national parks and, and sometimes I'll look at that. And I'm like, man, I'm mid forties, never been to a national park. You know, what am I going to do? Never been to Europe. You know, I always want to go to Europe. Grand Canyon, never seen it. Niagara Falls, never seen it. And sometimes I'm like, man, daylight's burning. I better, I better like, I better start to line up some trips. And I, I'm not against these trips or anything like that. But, but then some, sometimes God will remind me, like, hey, guess what? You know, you have a whole eternity to explore the new earth, like a recreated, even better version of those things. And so, if you can see them in this light, like, that's great and that's good. But don't don't feel like you're missing out on something. Don't act like you're getting shortchanged. On some of those things. Believing in the resurrection, re, it, it reorders how we live. And Jesus has come to us and said, this is what your life can look like. like he's saying, come, come and follow me. All, all you really need to do is to deny yourself. Like to realize that you have the virus. And you take up your cross, which is really just, just follow me, like be obedient to me. And let's go live this life. Let's take let's live in this freedom and let's take this message of freedom to people who don't know it yet, who don't understand it yet, who don't realize how important they are to the Lord and how good Jesus wants to be to them and has been to them. If the dead are not raised, we're still in our sins and we should just eat and drink for tomorrow we die, but the dead are raised. Jesus has been raised and that changes everything in this life. It's not just something that basically we can say, well, heaven for me is this thing way down the corridor of time, and it's going to be great when I get there. Jesus says, no, heaven can be here right now. It's not about going to heaven when you die. It's about living in heaven now that Jesus is offering to us. We see these disciples go in a matter of days from hope that is completely misplaced, like hope that was put in a military 
uh, style political Messiah. As much as Jesus told them, hey, that, that's not what I'm here to do, they're like, oh, yeah, 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 we know, we know. Misplaced hope to no hope, because when they watched him get killed, in their own words, on the road of Emmaus, they're like, yeah, we, we thought he was the one. Must not be, because he's dead. Misplaced hope to no hope. To hope that's not only alive, but is thriving. Victorious. So let me let me land the plane here to kind of pull really a lot of our study of Mark in together into one last thing. the 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 primary point of reference for Jewish identity is the Exodus story. Um, and if we're going to understand a lot of what's happening in in the New Testament, we have to understand what it was like to think and exist as a Jewish person in the first century. And for them, what happened in, in, in the Exodus story of, of, uh, was, was that was defining for them. That God, through the leadership of Moses, led them out of bondage to Egypt, through the Red Sea on dry land, and into the land of promise, where they would be his people, and he would be their God. He would be with them, and they would be with him. To them, that was, that was their story. And their belief was that God was going to do that again. And so on Thursday night, uh, of, of Holy Week, Jesus, in the, in that famous Lord's Supper, you know, scene, he takes this Passover meal, which is supposed to celebrate that Exodus story and retell it and pass it on to the next generation, just commemorating what God had done and would do again. Jesus takes that meal and, and it becomes a pivot point. He says, I know that you think we're doing this, but I'm going to shift it. We're going to actually, we're actually going to do this. Because yes, God is going to lead on, lead through a new Exodus. But this one will not be like the previous one. You're thinking it's just going to be a repeat of the last one. And instead of Egypt, now it's Rome. And so we're going to do this whole thing again. It's it's actually very different. Um, This Exodus is going to be freeing you from your sin and evil and death. It's from that virus. That's what's actually killing you. You think that Rome is the problem, but the problem is inside of you. And so uh, there, it's it's time for the new Exodus, and it's about to begin. And this new Passover is going to require blood, but he hands them the the bread and the wine and says, "This is the new. This is these are the two things through my body and through my blood." Um. This is what we'll put on the doorposts of your life. And I'm going to go ahead of you. Uh, I'm the new Moses, and so I'm going to lead. And we're going to leave sin behind us. I'm going to free you from it. I'm going to lead you forward. And we're going to get to that water, and God's going to part those waters, and we're going to start our way across. And so what we're doing right now is we're journeying together with Jesus at the front, God holding back the waters, we're journeying toward this land of promise that's ahead of us. We're, we're journeying from this life into heaven and then into new earth. We're all headed in this direction. And God's holding back the water. The sin and death are back there. 
And one day we're going to all get to the other side. Jesus is going to say, everybody's across. And, and he's going to let he's going to let that enemy chase, chase after us. Remember how the Egyptians chase after you know, Ten Commandments was on TV last night, and he's going to let the waters crash in and drown forever. And we'll be safe on the other side, and he'll say, "All right, let's set up camp. This is the new this is the new recreated earth. You were oaks on the you were acorns on the other side, and now let's get those oaks good and planted." to grow and to bear fruit and to be with God and Him to be with us in an unhindered way forever. That we are the free people of God. That's a part of what the resurrection tells us. You are no longer in bondage to sin and evil and death. And those after effects that you're feeling from that virus, it'll, it'll fade. You just keep going. Keep following. Do it together. You're not crossing by yourself. Jesus is at the front. We're all locked arm in arm. We're going across. We hang in there together. He'll see us through. In Exodus, he makes them a promise. He says, I'll bring you out. I'll deliver you from your bondage. I'll redeem you, and I'll take you as my people. And the resurrection is is like communicating to us, like, hey, this has begun. This new Exodus is set into motion, and Jesus is inviting us in into it. As I said earlier, if you've, if you've never said yes to that invitation to join the Exodus, then today can be your day. Today can be the day the virus comes out of you and onto him, and you start to learn what it's like to be healed. But all of this and more is possible and real and true for us because Jesus is living in this very moment. He is alive. And there's just nothing better. So let's stand together. And um, we're going to sing a little bit. Process this together. Let me pray for us. Lord, it's it's a um, just such a humbling uh, place to be on the receiving end of that kind of healing, that kind of redemption, that kind of forgiveness. And to know that we are, um, that we have been set free, not by our own earning, you know, not by our works, not because we're good enough or try really hard, our own effort, but just by your grace and through faith in what you have done, just belief that this is true. Just very humbled by that and honored to be in a room that is uh, really wanting to just honor that and say yes to that and walk more deeply in the reality that you have provided for us. And so would you help um, help our unbelief 
you know, help the, the parts of us that struggle to see this as something that's true for us and to hear your your voice louder than the others. We thank you for your leadership of our lives, that you lead us and you're leading us into this incredible land of promise ahead. But you're also meeting us in the moment, reminding us of the promises that you have made and walking us through various trials and difficulties. And certainly we all bring into this room today our own stuff. I pray, God, that you would show us how the resurrection makes a difference in how we navigate our way through the great parts of life and the difficult parts of life, especially what we have present in the room today. The resurrection makes a difference in every situation that's represented here. And we are thankful for that. And God, may we not get so consumed with how we benefit from this that we lose sight of the beauty of what Jesus has done. It's just a stunning picture of love. And it's so easy for us to get caught in caught up in how our lives are better. What we really need to walk away with today is just to continue to become more and more amazed at how amazing you are, Jesus. And so may you and your name and your faithfulness be the real theme for us today.